Well, welcome. And you join us. We're doing a little three-week series looking at a chapter of one of the letters that Ben mentioned about that you're going to be doing in a quip from the New Testament, which is the book of Romans. And you think three weeks in one chapter will be thankful because Dr. La- uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones from Wales took 18 years to preach through the book of Romans. And John Piper took nine years to preach for it. So we're doing three weeks in one chapter, one chapter. So please don't complain. Is that okay? Is that okay? But we're going to be spending some time looking at what does it mean for us to live a life that is pleasing to God. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm only going to be looking at the first two verses today, but we're going to read the whole chapter. The whole, whole chapter. Okay. Verse 1, chapter 12 of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let your love be genuine. Above what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, you are enough. You are enough. Your word is enough. Your spirit is enough. The sacrifice of your son and the resurrection of your son and the promise of his coming again is enough. Help us see that, we pray. That there is nothing in this life that can offer more than a life given to you. Help us, we pray, for your glory's sake. Amen. 
How do you live your life, folks? How do you live your life? What are the things that determine the decisions you make? The relationships that you foster? The direction of your daily plans and your daily walk? See, folks, how we live now in every moment is determined by something or someone else. Agreed? How we live is determined by something or someone else. Let me give you some examples. Circumstance, just the circumstance of life. Now, most of us in this room are British citizens. I know that some aren't, but you are living here. And the circumstances of us being British citizens determines how we live. We pay taxes that people in other countries don't have to pay. That's not a pointed comment in any way. We are subjected to particular laws, but we also have certain rights and certain privileges. Our lives, by the circumstance of the fact that we happen to be British citizens, determine how we live. Circumstance. The other one is commitment. When you take a job, you commit yourself to working the, the conditions that that job requires you to work. So if you sign up to work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, you commit to work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. It determines how you live. That commitment determines what happens at 8 o'clock in the morning. What happens at 9 o'clock? What happens when you come home? What happens maybe even at the weekend if you have to do a little bit of work? It determines your commitment to determines. Another one is covenant. Paul said covenant. It's wrong. It's covenant. It's a rain hill thing. It's a rain hill thing. Covenant. When you marry, you make a covenant, a promise. And you covenant to live in a certain way. You covenant to think differently, to use your time differently. You covenant to sacrifice. You live in light of the promise that you have made. Folks, our lives lived out, and in most cases, are expected to be lived out in certain ways in light of something or in light of someone else. And as Christians, this is also true. See, the essence of becoming a Christian is transformation. Something changes. When you became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Amen? You go from being in darkness, now living in the light. You go from being an enemy of God to becoming a child of God. You go from being under His judgment to experiencing His grace and mercy. You go from having no hope in life and death to having a living hope and inheritance that is kept for you. You go from being a sinner to becoming a saint. When we become Christians, our lives change. Amen? Our desires are different. Our hopes and our dreams are different. As Christians, we are to live lives that reflect God, to live lives that reflect His goodness, and we are to live lives that please Him. So over the next three weeks, as we're looking at Romans 12, we're going to be looking at what it means to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, the book of Romans, like I said before, is a letter. 
It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Christians in Rome. And as you read through this letter, it's probably the fullest account of the gospel that Paul writes in, his, in all of his letters. But there's another reason why he is writing this letter. Not only to share with them the wonders of the gospel and what God has done for them in and through Jesus Christ, but he also writes to them because his desire is to not only visit them and to share the gospel again and to teach them and to be amongst them, his desire is also then to go and take the good news of Jesus to Spain, all the way to Spain. That's what all the scousers are doing, all the way to Benidorm to share the gospel. <laughs> I'll be a missionary. I'll be a missionary. But Paul's intention was to take the gospel all the way to Spain. Have a look at Romans 15. It should come up on the screen. This is what he says right at the end. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Just to clarify, Gentiles were those who were not Jews. And God's word, God's word had been opened up. The reality of the wonder of Jesus was not just for Jews, but also Gentiles, those, who, those of us, I'm thinking most of us, if not all of us, those who were not Jews. So the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So what Paul is saying is, I'm not going to boast in anything apart from the work that I have done for Christ. I'm proud of this work because this work that, that God has done in through me means that those who have, were strangers to the promises of God are now Christians. Now, the, 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 through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Elycrium, I have fought, fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's heart, Paul's ambition, folks, was to take the gospel of Jesus to places that had not heard about him. And one of those places was Spain. And he wanted the Christians in Rome to be a part of that mission, which would require them giving of themselves, using their gifts, and living in light of what it meant to be the people of God as they supported Paul on his missionary journey. So let me just pause there. It's not in my notes. Let me pause. Can I encourage you? Come to the session on applied theology because in the summer we're going to send somebody to a place where Jesus has neither named or known. We can be part of that. Amen? So come. Complete aside. But the Lord provoke me. So over the next three weeks we're going to be looking at three things. Three things of what it means for us to live lives pleasing for God as part of this wonderful plan that he has chosen people like you and me to live in such a way so those who do not know Jesus come to know him. That's why. 
That's why we live in light of the wonder of what Christ has done, is so that we can give him glory and so that those that we come in contact with, whether it's in Liverpool or whether it's at the other side of the world, that is the ambition of Paul and therefore should be the ambition of us. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at what it means to have today total dedication to God. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to give energy to the gifts that God has given you and to use them amongst the people that he has put you amongst. And then the following week, we'll look at different aspects of what a life pleasing to God looks like. So today, total dedication, total dedication. Folks, we can live our lives in light of circumstance, commitment, and covenant and still not be totally dedicated. Agreed? We can. I find myself in a circumstance, I've made a commitment, I've even made a covenant to love this person and to be faithful to this person and not be totally dedicated. But I think we all know that a lack of dedication to how we live in light of these things has an effect on the fruit of our lives in these areas. Agreed? You can talk back. Do you agree? Yeah, totally. If you are married to somebody and you're not dedicated to that person, you are not going to bear the fruit of what a dedicated spouse bears. It's not going to happen. But often, we don't start off with the intention of living lukewarm lives in light of these commitments and these covenants, do we? We don't, we don't step in going, well, I'm going to be like a waster of a spouse, <laughs> or I'm going to be bang average at my job. No, we, we step in with this sense of motivation, this sense of being keen, because we see the purpose and the reason why we are shaping our lives in this certain way. I get why I get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, or I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to get a bus, to travel to the Wirral, to do a job, because I've committed to do it. I get why at times I've got to think about my family and other people and not just come in off work and lie on the couch and do what I want. Why? Because I've made a commitment. My life is shaped around what has occurred. Folks, Paul here, in the first two verses of chapter 12, is saying that a person whose heart is captured by the mercy and grace of God will truly dedicate their bodies, their minds, and their will to God and in service to Him, and it will shape the way they live. It will shape the way they live. So number one, dedication is based on the grace and mercy of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Paul is making an appeal to the Christians in, Ro in Rome. He's urging them. But folks, this appeal is not a rant. It's not a, it's not a, a kickoff. It's a warm appeal. He calls them brothers. Therefore, brothers. And this brothers means near kinsmen, fellow countrymen, fellow believers. It's a warm. Look, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And this appeal comes in light of what he has already shared in chapters 1 to 11, which is Paul unpacking the mercy of God towards them. Now, when you go from 1 to 11, you see that. We'll look at that very briefly in a minute. But 12 to 15 is not just some ways for us to, to, to be godly out of gratitude for what God has done for us that we'll read about in chapters 1 to 11. Instead, Paul in chapters 12 to 15 describes the great plan that God has for the nations. So what, what he's saying is, 
I appeal to you, brothers, and he's going to talk about giving our lives and, and our, having our minds transformed and living out the gifts that he's given us. It's not just for me as an individual. It's not just for you as an individual. No, the wonder of God's mercy that we have been saved and we have been brought into is so that the glory of God can be flung to all the nations of the earth. You have been invited into something far bigger than your life. Amen? Amen. Far bigger. Now, folks, to jump straight into what a life dedicated to God looks like outside of us understanding the mercy of God will result in us living lives that are not shaped by the gospel, but rather by religion. And therefore, we will become pharisaical. And when I say religion, I mean living in ways that we think will bring favor with God. No, no, no. If you are a Christian and have faith in the Lord Jesus, you have favor with God because of what He has done for you. There's nothing that you can do that can make Him love you more. And there's nothing that you can do if you are in Christ that can make Him love you less. Amen? That's good news. But if we just jump straight in and say, this is what we need to do without an understanding of the mercy and grace of God, it will lead to us becoming Pharisees. It'll lead to us becoming disappointed and frustrated and burned out. Why? Because we will then live lives of obligation rather than in view of God's mercy. And then it becomes burdensome rather than joyful. Rather than joyful. The mercy and grace of God, the gospel does something, folks, to the essence of a person when you know it and when you understand it. See, at essence, at essence, every human being is the same. Every human being, at essence, is made in the image of God. Now, unfortunately, sin has distorted that essence. So before sin came into the world, every human being was made to reflect the glory of God. We were made in the image of God. There are attributes of God that we share with Him. There are certain attributes that we don't share with Him because He is God. But for those of us who are made in His image, it is like that we are representatives of Him. And that before sin came into the world, the glory of the Lord would cover the, the earth as the waters cover the sea, as human beings multiplied, and there are more human beings that reflect the goodness of God and the image of God, and it just flowed out and flowed out. So at essence, we are image bearers. And before the fall came, that essence as image bearers meant that our identities were, we're children of Him. We're children of Him. And because we are children of Him, and we're made in His image, at the root and our essence, our purpose is to give glory to Him, and to display that glory all over the world, to use what He has given us for His glory and for the good of one another. And then we understand what it is to function in that way. So our essence helps us understand our identity, and our identity helps us understand our purpose, and our purpose helps us understand how we function. But sin distorted our understanding of essence. Sin distorted our image. And because sin distorted our image, because we totally misunderstood what it was to be made in the image of God, rather than giving glory to Him, we wanted to be people who had glory for ourselves. 
And as a result of that, our identity was no longer that we are children of God. We became those who were enemies of God. And therefore, our purpose was not about his glory, but about our own. Therefore, we functioned in ways that fed this glory rather than his. Completely distorted. Completely distorted. See, sin has distorted our perspective and understanding of God. It has distorted our perspective and understanding of humanity. And the true essence has been busted up and broken that causes us to adopt the wrong identity which affects our purpose and our function. Therefore, it affects the way we live. So folks, we need to understand what Christ has done for us in order for our essence to be restored as image bearers. To see that our identities are now in Christ. Therefore, we are the children of God. And that changes our purpose and our understanding of purpose here on earth that changes how we live. It changes what it means to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. It changes what it means when you make a decision about where you're going to live. It changes what it means and where you're going to use your money in whatever particular way. It changes things. Why? Because my essence has been restored, my identity is in Christ, and now I know my purpose here on earth. So Paul appeals, in light of what they have just read, in light of the mercy of God, give your bodies. Now what does Paul, through Romans, tell them? Chapter 1, straight away he says, talks about the goodness and the graciousness and the righteousness of God. And he, sa- he says that Christians are set apart and we are to be obedient to the faith for the sake of the nations. And then he says this, for I am not ashamed, Romans 1, 16 to 11, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what that means, Paul, right at the beginning of Romans says, the righteous will live by faith. So what that means is that those who are right with God will have a faith in God and a faith in His Word that means that we understand our purpose and therefore we live out day to day what it means to bring glory to Him. The righteous will live by faith in God, not faith in themselves or a faith in academic um, prowess or money or anything. No, the righteous will live by faith in God. That's what Paul says and he therefore says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. But then what's interesting, as you go through chapters 1 and chapter 3, what you start to see is that the reality for all human beings is very different than that. See, it shows us that our essence is distorted. Our identity is one that we become God-haters and we reject him, even though it is plain all around us through creation that there is a God. Romans 1 verses 19 to 21, it says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and foolish hearts were darkened. That's the reality. Even though everything in creation is plain, because sin has distorted our essence and our identity, we have completely dishonored our God and we are foolish and in darkness. So God goes on and God gives us over, over to our debased minds. 
In verse 23 and 25 of chapter 1, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship created things. So rather than worshiping God, what do we worship? We worship the things that God has created. Things like this. Things like this. Mobile phones. Things like other sinful human beings. See, we've exchanged the glory, Romans verse 23 of chapter 1 says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and we've worshipped these things instead of God. And we've become about worshipping self. Futile, debased minds, dark hearts that led to the passions of the flesh that dishonor God. So therefore, verse 24, God gives them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Folks, the reality is this, because our essence has been distorted by sin, every human being without Christ is for self, not him. And we have given ourselves over to the debased desires of our minds. And I don't need to spell those things out to you for you to know what that means. And in Romans 3, it tells us the complete state of humanity. All of us. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What Paul does in this letter is remind the Christians in Roman and he, Romans, and he's reminding us, those of us who are Christians, and he is telling those of you who are not, you are in a terrible place without God. That what you give yourself over to outside of him is doing nothing but drawing you away deep into the death that is waiting for you because of the wages of your sin. He begins his letter with terrible news for humanity. But then as you read it through, Paul, there's a big word called but, but, Jesus. See, the reality is this, we are destined for hell because of sin, but Jesus, but Jesus. And in chapter 3, he goes on, but none. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. See, Paul said at the beginning of the letter, the righteous live by faith. He then goes on to say that none of you are righteous. None of you are righteous. But now the righteousness of God has come in Jesus Christ, and having faith in him makes you right with him. Amen? That's all. Faith in him. Why? Because Romans 5 we who have faith in Jesus have been justified since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It should come up, Romans 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Folks, there is nothing that we can do, no dedication to God that makes us right with him. We are only justified, just as if we had not sinned, pardoned before God, our essence and identity and purpose and function renewed because the righteousness of God has stepped into this darkness, and his name is Jesus. Amen?
His name is Jesus. He makes us right. And the Christians in Rome would have been reading this going, yes, he does. He makes me right. Even in the midst of the sin that I committed as we came to read this letter together, he makes me right. And not only am I justified, he says, you are sanctified, Romans 6, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? See, when you were sinful, he says, you could do what you want. But what was the fruit of the things that you did then? What do they bring? They bring shame. They bring shame. For the end of those things is what? Death, Paul says. But now that you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, the end of sanctification is what? Eternal life. Praise God. Folks, when we live, when we were living with distorted essence, when we were living with sin, we were living for things that we thought we were free, where do they lead? They lead to death. But in Christ, he changes us by his spirit to be more like him. And the fruit of that is a blessed life. A fruit of that is a purpose and function in the midst of what it is to follow Jesus. And the end of that is not death, but eternal life. Amen? That's the end. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what's wonderful, as you walk through the letter, Paul continues, and he, he shares about his own struggles, even as a Christian, the own struggles that he has. And then we get to Romans 8, and he says, in the midst of all the troubles that I have, the one thing that I know is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Folks, the reality is this, as I'm speaking, I know, I know in my own heart, that actually there's a pull to the flesh. There's a pull for wanting to live a life that is all about me. It's all about the stuff that life brings in the midst of the freedom. I just want to do what I want to do sometimes. I just want to do it. And sometimes I find myself doing it. And then I feel the shame. And then I read Romans 8 that says, Stephen, because you are in my son, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. There is no condemnation and you are a co-heir because those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We will reign with Jesus in a new world without pain and suffering. We will be glorified. Amen? Glorified. We've got big football fans in here, Liverpool fans. And I'm using this because some of us some of us have seen Liverpool win things, and those people are worshipped, and they are glorified. That is nothing compared to what God promises us. Little old us that the world looks at and thinks are weak and broken and busted up in any way. That is nothing to be compared. Nothing to be compared when celebrities get awarded for BAFTAs and, and with Oscars. Nothing to be compared with any glory that you may get or affirmation from your workplace. God will pour his glory on us and we will be glorified with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is good news, folks. And as you get to chapter 9, we see that we are his according to God's sovereign choice. Chapter 10, that the gospel is not just for Israel and the Jews, it's for all nations. The chapter 11, the gospel is for the nations that will cause Israel to be jealous. 
and that there will be a coming in of those who have rejected Christ, even though they knew the promises of God, and that they will come and know the wonder as they look and see those who did not have the promises, us, Gentiles, those who were strangers to those promises, coming to delight in the wonder of who Christ is, and those who have been caught up in the Old Testament and refuse to see that Jesus is the promised Messiah will come to know him, praise the Lord. And chapter 12 through to 15, that this truth that we now know changes everything. So therefore, in view of the mercy of God, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, Cornerstone Church, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So a dedication to God comes from knowing his grace and mercy. Number two, it means a dedication of the body. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, our whole lives, every moment of the day, everything that you have. See, the word living sacrifice marks a difference from the general run of sacrifices that were happening in the Old Testament and what happened. It is true, folks, it's good. This is good. An animal Animals that were sacrificed were living when they were brought to the altar. A dead animal could not be given a sacrifice. It had to be alive. But it was offered dead. The sacrifice came in the killing of the spotless animal. Paul speaks, listen, of believers, those of us who are Christians, as those who have died to sin. But his emphasis is on the glorious life that we now live for Christ. It's not about our lives that have died to sin. It is now about the new life that we have in Christ. We are alive from the dead. So therefore, we as Christians are offered as alive sacrifices. The sacrifice of which Paul writes demands not the destruction, but the full energy of life. It is positive and it is dynamic. Folks, we are alive in Christ. And all that we are and all that we have is because of him. What a purpose we now have. We must cease to live for ourselves and devote all the actions of this life to obedience to him. Positive, dynamic. I think sometimes, you know the story of Jesus where he says to Lazarus, who's in the grave, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is miraculously brought back from the dead. And he comes out to the tomb and he's standing there. And he's still got all the, the, the stuff that they would have wrapped him up in. Death clothes. And there's a little verse at the end of um, John 11, I think it is. Right at the end. And it says this. Take the clothes from him and let him walk free. See, those clothes represented death. Take those clothes off him and let him walk free. I think sometimes some of us still are living in the midst of the death that has died with Christ. Some of us need to take off those clothes and walk free. Amen? We are alive. We are alive. Those are to give their lives. And what we bring in our lives, folks, hear this. What does Paul say? They are holy and blameless. They're spotless. Your living sacrifice, your life is holy. It's been set apart by what Christ has done, and it is blameless. 
Jesus has done all that he needs to do, and his blood covers you. You are righteous. God the Father looks at you. He is pleased with you. The God the Father looks at you, and he chooses not to remember your sins. They have been removed as far as the east is from the west. You are his dear beloved child, and you are blameless. So whatever you bring, whether it's busted up, broken, distorted, whether it's average, whether it's one pound or a million pounds, whether it's all the gifts that the world would say that is wonderful or things that the world will say are rubbish, what you bring to him as those who are alive in Christ is wholly set apart and it is blameless. Amen. How encouraging is that? How encouraging is that? Holy and blameless. You have been justified. Your work doesn't need to make you right with God. But because you are right with God, Jesus, in Jesus, you get to give your life for him. Folks, we are no longer people wandering blindly. No, we have been reconciled to God by the sacrifice of Christ and Christ alone. And by His grace, we have been made priests that we may be dedicated and dedicate all we have and all that we are for His glory, which is our spiritual worship, which means this, the rational response. The rational response to knowing the mercy and grace of God and to knowing that what you bring to him is perfect before him. The rational response is giving all of your life for him. Amen? Because now you know what your purpose is in life. So therefore, allow how you function to determine that purpose as you live out that identity from a restored essence of being a child of the living God. So what does this look like? <laughs> Firstly, are you captured by the mercies of God, as Paul appeals to the Romans and in doing so appeals to us. Are you captured by that? Do we get what Christ has done for us? Do we get it? See, everything that we do, everything that we are given, and everything that we give is shaped by the gospel and who we now are because of the gospel. Folks, who we are determines our purpose in life, which is to give all that we have. And the gospel determines what that looks like. So how you work, how you use your home, how you use your time, how you use your money, how you engage in relationships. The gospel becomes the lens by which you make your decisions. Folks, don't make a decision that is primarily about what is best for you. Make a decision on the basis of what is primarily best for the gospel. That's what, that's what this says. Engage in relationships that not aren't relationships that are primarily best for you, but what are best for the gospel. Use your money in ways that are not primarily what is best for you, but what is best for the gospel. Pick your job that you do that is not primarily what is best for you, but what is best for the gospel. Pick the city that you live in, not what is primarily best for you, but what is best for the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. This is what he's saying. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice in light of the mercy of God for what is best for the gospel. And through the gospel, that, that is the lens by which we make all our decisions and how we live. When something is important, you shape your life around it. When you want to do something or see something happen, you shape your life around it. The question is, is Jesus important enough to you? Is this our response to the gospel? 
A life pleasing to God is a life that dedicates themselves as a living sacrifice in view of the grace and mercy of God in Jesus. This means that Jesus can't just be an add-on to our lives, folks. He can't just be an add-on. We miss out on so much fruit and so much blessing when he's just an add-on. But when he's bang in the middle, wow, I am telling you, wow. What a life. Number three, it is a dedication of the mind. See, it tells us there, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds have been renewed because of the grace and mercy of God. They've been changed. See, Paul doesn't tell us to renew our minds. God has already done that. He says, be conformed. Don't be conformed to the the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the renewal of your mind. So our minds have been changed, and because of God, our minds are currently being changed to be conformed to Him and transformed by Him, not conformed to the things of this world. And as Christians, we now think differently. For those of you who've become Christians, your view on the world is very different to what it was before. In all sorts of ways, the object of your worship is different. Your reality is different. Therefore, don't be conformed to this world in this age because you are no longer part of that. You no longer think in those ways. You no longer think in those ways. See, before receiving God's mercy, we were all conformed to this world's way of thinking and living, and the gospel has changed that, completely changed that. Little, 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 little things are going to come up now, a little, um, if you can see this. Okay, we, right, now in Christ... On your left-hand side. Okay, on the left-hand side. That's the same screen. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) On the left-hand side. These are all the things that happen to us because of Christ. Because of what we're reading in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are to present our bodies. We to serve the Creator. We believe and live in light of the gospel. We have renewed minds. We prove God's will. We please God. We think rightly about ourselves in verse 3. Things change. And the difference between what Paul talked about in Romans 1, we were people who dishonored our bodies, verse 24 of chapter 1. We saved what is created, not the creator. We suppress the truth. We give up. We're being given up to our debased minds. We break God's will. We hate God and refuse to glorify him. And we are arrogant people. We know best. We're arrogant people. As Christian people, folks, because of the grace and mercy of God, we now think differently. We now think differently. We have a different perspective, a different lens. See, before receiving God's mercy, we were all conformed to this world's way of thinking and living. We dishonored our bodies. We served what is created rather than the creator. We suppressed the truth, and we were arrogant, thinking we were wise. And when we forget the grace and mercy of God in our lives and service to him, the pressure to think like this again is heavy and real, and it takes up a place where our lives and service become about us. We become people who don't think like Christians. Let's think of one of how the world's way of thinking can affect our service to God and his people. Even service to God and his people. One way is that it becomes about wanting people to affirm or even worship worship in us. When we serve God and his people, even in the church, it becomes about people worshiping and serving us, which is a dishonoring of our bodies. We end up doing things to be noticed by others rather than God. And live and serve as an act of worship to people. 
So therefore, we serve what is created rather than God the Creator. We know that our service shall be for God and for His glory, but all we want is a thank you. And if you got that, then it would all be worth it. That's suppressing the truth. We're suppressing the truth. And then we walk away because of the lack. But then if we don't get that, we walk away because of the lack of thanks becomes harmful to my mental health and is damaging my self-esteem, which is thinking we are wise, but really we are foolish. Folks, later on in chapter 12, Paul tells us that we should outdo each other in showing honor. And this is something that we need to grow in. We need to grow in as Christians and as British Christians. And I know it's discouraging when we're not honored, but this honoring is part of our service to him and each other. It's not to be a condition of our service, which at times make it, makes, makes it so, sorry, and at times it clouds the reasons why we are serving God. If we are serving God so we want people to honor us, to thank us, to worship us, to notice us, we are clouding the very reason why we're giving our lives in those moments. And that is this culture's way of thinking. Unless I'm appreciated or I am satisfied, I'm not going to do it. That stands right in the face of Paul's appeal for sacrifice. So in contrast, folks, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Before we knew the mercy of God in Jesus, we thought like the world, but now we don't. Our minds have been removed, renewed. We have the mind of Jesus. And what is the mind of Jesus? That he humbly sacrificed even unto death to save people like you and people like me. We have his mind. The Jesus who got on his knees to wash the feet of his disciples, the Jesus who with the joy set before him enjoyed the cross, walking headlong into the shame and pain and obedience to his Father to save and save others. Folks, if we remember his mercy and see that this is why behind our lives and service, see that all of this is the why to why we live for God in the midst of changing circumstances or difficult issues, we will be able in the midst of that to discern what is the will of God. That's what Paul says. If we live our lives with right minds, that come in and through the Word of God, we will be people who can discern the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and pleasing to Him. What's my fourth and final point? It's a dedication of the will. See, Paul says there, do not be conformed to this will, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. You may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and purpose. See, the purpose of not being conformed to this world and being transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is a mind that is being transformed by the Word of God, is so that you can say goodbye to your own fleshly desires that stop you from giving your lives as living sacrifices for Him. See, if your mind is fixed on Him in and through His Word, it will capture your heart and it means you can say goodbye to those fleshly desires that stop you from giving your life as a living sacrifice to him. And that your will will be in submission to the good and perfect will of God. Because we see the good and perfect will of God in his word. 
God has revealed it to us. The issue is, if we are conformed to the things of this world and not being transformed by the renewal of our minds, we are not going to see how good and perfect it is, and we are not going to submit to it. And folks, this is not primarily an issue of God's will for my life individually. We all pray that, Lord, what is your will for my life? Not primarily your life individually in terms of the details. Where shall I live? What job, sh- job shall I do? It is the will of God that is revealed in Scripture to us. It is the will of God that is good, that is acceptable, that is pleasing to Him, which is perfect. And this is it, the redemption plan of God and the purpose for His people. To live lives that give glory to Him. That's why I said before, When you're trying to pick a job, pick a job that is primarily about the gospel, not about you. That's why I said when you decide where you're going to live, live where there is a need for the gospel, not where it makes you more comfortable. When you decide to use your money, use your money. Why? Because the will of God shows us that we have a purpose and a function to live as image bearers and ambassadors and those who represent him to Proclaim the name of Christ to the whole of the world. It is living life in response to what he has done for us. Lives that are sacrificial, that flow from the renewal of our minds, that are engaged with the word of God, that reveals his perfect will. And as we live and submit, we will prove that the will of God is good. Number one, to ourselves. To ourselves. We will prove that it is good. It will shape how we live. We will see life in the midst of it. And folks, I'm telling you that as somebody that's walked many, many miles of sorrow through the pain of, of issues with our kids, many miles of sorrow of walking with people, pastorally issues who are struggling, broken marriages, sexual difficulties, abuses that have happened to them. But as those people, and as we have, in, even in our own lives, have submitted to, to the Word of God, having that renewed our minds and given our lives and the lives of those people that I mentioned as living sacrifices, even in those difficult situations, they prove that the gospel and the will of God is good to themselves. But not only to themselves, but to others around. Others around. See, folks, the unchanged life of a believer... A believer who is conformed to the things of this world undermines the gospel. Undermines the gospel. But a believer whose life is clearly being shaped by the will of God and the gospel stands in contrast to the world which causes other people to ask and see how can you have so much joy and hope and trust even through the tears that I see when you hear this about your child. There's a lady in our church this very morning who saw that, who viewed that, and now knows Jesus. Amen? Amen. We prove the good will of God to others. Folks, we shape our lives in light of something or someone else. As Christians, we are to give our lives as living sacrifices because of the mercy and grace of God, because of Jesus. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And folks, now, right in front of us, we have another weekly reminder of the grace and mercy of God on our lives. We come to this table broken and busted up, not being worthy of the forgiveness of God, but in Christ we have been forgiven. And right in front of us, we see the lengths that He went to in order to see us reconciled back to God. Wow. What is it that we need to be doing in response to this? To bring Him glory so that others come to know Jesus. So as we eat, I want you to ask these questions in light, as we eat and drink, in light of these things. What do you need to sacrifice? What do you need to change? Start with confession and repentance. And in this moment, dedicate your body, your life, dedicate your mind and dedicate your will to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him by his spirit and the help of his people to live lives in response to the gospel for his glory. And there is joy in that, purpose in that. And it changes how you live and start from today. And then tomorrow, view your colleagues differently. View your bosses that speak evil against you maybe differently. View your family differently. View your desires differently. Say goodbye to the ones that you know are taking you away and embrace the wonderful will of God that is only found in his word. Let's eat, let's drink, and let's be thankful. Let's do that now. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Folks, as we eat this bread, the Lord Jesus has said, This is my body. This represents my body. So as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Paul has said to the church in Rome, I appeal to you. I want to remind you of the goodness of the gospel. I pray, I pray that, that you've been reminded of the goodness of the gospel this morning. So as you eat, remember Jesus. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, it's not that we have made a promise with God, but God has made a promise with us. And that promise is a new covenant. A new covenant that has been 
signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us as white as snow, that makes us and our lives holy and blameless before him. So as we drink, let's remember Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the death of Jesus till he comes. Why? Because the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is our only hope in life and death. And then when we see him, when we see him alive, the Bible says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without the sin in the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If we are willing to receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, but we are not willing to be gracious and seek to forgive others, we should not eat and drink. If we are walking in unrepentant sin and we know it, and we have no desire to confess and to repent, and to move away from death to life, to eat and drink would be to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. But to eat and drink on your knees, even in the midst of that sin, and say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. By your Spirit, help me eat and drink and enjoy the forgiveness. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then let us sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for the gospel. And we praise and thank you that we can give our lives, our minds, and our will to you because of what you have done for us. And Father, you are gracious and merciful. Help us to live lives that bring you glory. And Father, I ask that you would raise up amongst us those, if not all, to be people who truly live sacrificial lives for your glory. And I ask in and through those people, in and through us as a church, blow the wind of your saving power through our city so that people come to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.